Well, good morning, everyone. We are having two more days of presentations, and so obviously that is going to take most of our time today. But um, I'm going to share an iPad app, and uh, actually, maybe I'll just do that first. Uh, this wasn't the one I was planning on sharing, but I guess since I have it open, I'll share it, and then I'll share, share the other one. This is called Reuters Galleries. Have I shown this to you before? Think, think about this, okay? Before the telegraph, and about what time was the telegraph invented? Does anybody know? Could you find out quickly? Go for it. Google it. Telegraph. Wikipedia. Before the telegraph was invented, there were, there were no current events. It was not possible to get news from outside your local area. Um, you had to wait until someone like rode a horse or walked and came, you know, to your town. Uh, the telegraph came. Trains in, in transportation radically changed. What did anybody find out? When was the telegraph? 1792. And then, like in the United States, when did it start to? Yeah. So it was like the mid mid 1800s. Um, so we've got, you know, how many? Uh, 33 miners in, in Chile. This is an app called uh, Reuters Galleries. And I just, I think it's amazing because Reuters is a news service and they have selected some of the, the best photos. And if there's one thing a tablet is really good at doing, it's showing images. And I not only like those kind of thematic uh, galleries, but they've also got what they call editor's choice. So here's the editor's choice for October 13th, and they've got some of the miners. But they're just other pictures from all over the place. This is uh, an art project that's in Berlin. Um, here's a photo of the uh, Australia's uh, gold w uh, medal winning team in the 4x400 at the Commonwealth Games in New Delhi, India. Unbelievable. These are photos just taken, you know, probably in some cases a few hours ago, um, in some cases, you know, 24 hours ago perhaps but from all over the world being able to have at our fingertips. Uh, this was a boat that um, they had a, a, rec, a, a Greek tanker. You think about if you're talking about current events with your kids, um, being able to bring these kinds of, of images and being able to have access to this kind of thing. Obviously, you don't have to have a iPad um, or an app to be able to do this. Um, but as I mentioned earlier in our class, apps are definitely on the rise, and I think we're going to see a lot more of them. The app that I wanted to share with you that I actually linked, and I'll, I'll put a link to that Reuters Gallery one too, so you get a double, a double app share today, is this one. It's called the International Children's Digital Library. And I shared the, the app StoryKit with you a while back, and StoryKit is made by this group. This has been funded by some grants. And last week I was in Kansas with my parents for a football game, which we won't talk about because Nebraska really destroyed K-State. But my 10-year-old daughter was with me, and we didn't bring any books to read at bedtime. But I had my iPad. I thought, oh, well, why don't we go to the International Children's Digital Library and see what they have. So over here on the side, you select your um, age. So we said 10 to 13 because she's 10. And it searches for books there. There's 594 books for that age. Oh, wait a minute, but we are going to read English. <laughs> so we're going to select English books in that category, and that's going to limit to 153. Well, it was bedtime, so we clicked short books at the bottom. That got us down to 58. And then over here on the right side, it says kid characters, real animal characters, picture books. We chose picture books. So show me English picture books for grades or ages 10 to 13 that are short. And there were 28 of those books. Uh, we may 
have also said award-winning books? I'm not sure. I think we did, because award-winning books gets us down to eight. And so she looked at these books and selected this one called Taming the Tanawa. Um, we click uh, read this book. It turns out this is also available in Maori. So what country does this mean that be from? Anybody? Where are the Maoris? Could you find out quickly? Sure. Maori is M-A-O-R-I. And I'll go back here. Maori. M-A-O-R-I. New Zealand, right. So the Maoris are the native peoples of New Zealand. So this is a, a beautiful, beautiful children's book. It's actually about dealing with a bully. And um, you don't have to have an iPad or an iPhone um, in order to use this book. You can actually just go to their website and access these as well. Um, we were not even using the app when we did this. We were just accessing this from the web page and looking at that. Um, on the page, but just beautiful, and how awesome to have, um, I mean, the, the tablet, the iPad weighs a pound and a half, you know, my laptop, I think, weighs 11 pounds, this isn't really nice to curl up with in bed, in fact, I really, actually, I do that sometimes, but it's not nearly as nice to have a tablet, and so tablets are just going to get cheaper and, and less expensive, so that is your, your app share for today, and um, I think that's fantastic to have access to that kind of literature. So share that with other people that you know. Um, check that out. And they've got hundreds of books in, in more languages than just English. So if you're going to be teaching kids Spanish or um, working in another language, you could obviously use those books as well. Um, make sure you fill out our attendance for today. And our video share is actually twofold as well. Um, how many of you have heard of YouTube EDU before? Anybody heard of this? YouTube has a bad rap, and kind of like Wikipedia, and there's a lot of teachers today that might just discount YouTube altogether. Forget that. It is just a bunch of trash. There's no way we're going to do any of that. And a lot of schools block YouTube entirely. You can't even get to that. We've got to deal with these kinds of issues because uh, video sharing is a really important way to communicate, and the, the kind of curriculum you can bring into your classroom from not just YouTube, but other video sites, is phenomenal. And as a minimum, you should have access as a teacher to YouTube, even if your kids don't. And we've got over 500 districts in Oklahoma, and as far as I know, less than 10 doing that, letting the teachers have more rights on their network than the kids do. So I show this to you, but I'm going to also mention, you know, this is it, in some cases going to be blocked. And I'm going to teach you in our class this semester how to, there's different ways to download YouTube videos to your flash drive. So if you wanted to bring it to class and it was blocked at school, even if it's available, sometimes it takes a long time to download. In the afternoon, the internet gets slower. Depends where you are. You may be teaching in a rural school. There may be just a ton of, maybe you've got a laptop school. But guess what? Everybody's online and they haven't updated the internet pipe. So it's slow access. So there's different reasons why that can be beneficial. <laughs> Just a quick little example. I found this on um, Open University's um, 
YouTube channel. So here at the top of the YouTube education channel, all these different universities, you know, have set up channels to be able to distribute content. And there's lots of different things. Some of them are just lectures from classes. Um, you can go into different categories. If we were going to do history and we can, you know, find history, here's a, you know, testimony of a Holocaust survivor. I mean, are we going to be able to bring a Holocaust survivor live to class? Probably not. Could we read about it? Yeah, Diary of Anne Frank's a great book to read. But how about hearing directly from somebody who was a survivor? That is a pretty powerful sort of curriculum content um, to, to bring into your class. And, 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 and so you, it could let you do this. Here's something else. This is from Open University. And uh, this one was called, is called The Size of the Universe. And I'm not going to show you the whole thing. It's seven minutes long. But we'll, let's look at a little bit of this. Knowledge, showing you something in Texas that mentions Big Bang probably you know, risks me getting shot by somebody. Um, it is a good thing to have exposure to lots of different ideas. And uh, whether you are a creationist or an evolutionist, whatever your you know, particular belief is, uh, it's a really important thing to expose children and to expose learners to all different kinds of ideas. I mean, even if you disagree with something that he's saying, you're not going to be able to disagree with it intelligently if you don't listen to his argument and what he is presenting and talking about. Um, this is a theory, right? And he goes in to talk about the edge of the universe and how do we think about the edge? And he says, it may not be two-dimensional. We may have multiple universes and it may be, you know, round. Oh, my gosh, that's such a, an awesome thing to think about. A lot of times in school, when it comes to science, we th make things so simple and so basic that we might forget that, the wonder and the curiosity of what, you know, what could that be? It, it's an important thing that motivates kids. 
So being able to have access to this incredible array of material in school and for your students to have access to it as well when they go home or they're in the library or wherever they can get online, it is a really big deal. And I just want you to know about YouTube uh, education because it is a specific channel that they've set up and they've curated or gatekept the content here. So when I just go on YouTube and put any old video on, it's not going to show up inside this particular channel. I do want to make you aware, though, and you may know this already, that it's important how you link to a YouTube video because right now the link I gave you on our handout goes to this channel for Open University and you don't see the comments for this video. If, however, I do a direct link to this video, I will, and, you know, there's profanity in the first comment that somebody left there on that particular video. So it can be important to uh, embed videos like we've been talking about in our, um, in our blog posts, so that the video is right there on the page and you don't have all this extra stuff. When you embed it too, you can deselect to show related videos. It makes a big difference what people tag you know, their videos. And so, you know, is there profanity on YouTube comments? Yeah, there is. Does that mean that it's all trash and we should ignore the resources and content that's there? Absolutely not. So we'll be talking more about how to actually copy those videos, but I wanted to let you know about that, and that is your, your video share for today. Um, the other thing which really isn't a scheduled share, but I went and saw the movie Waiting for Superman on Monday. Anybody seen this movie? Uh, anybody have a thought or comment about it? No, it is only on at the Angelica Theater in Plano, which is like the nicest movie theater I've probably ever been to. And it's because they said it's an independent film, and I don't think that the regular theaters will license independent films. So it was, it was showing, I got on, you, you uh, use Flickster? You don't know about Flickster? Flickster is a, this is totally not on the curriculum, but this may, you know, relate to your social life, so this could be a good thing. Um, I have this as an app, but you can also search. And so, for instance, I just said, show me um, all the places within a 30-mile radius of me right now in Denton that's showing it. And it was showing in Plano, and there was one other place southwest of the metro. Was there one in Dallas, too? So, anyway, you can't see it everywhere. Um, it's a movie that Oprah's talked about. There's been a lot of uh, discussion about um, Foundations like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and other groups are really pushing for school change, and it makes some really good points. It also misses some things, I think. Um, I actually wrote a little bit of a review of the movie, and I linked that, too, if you want to check that out. I, I bottom line, think it's a good film to get us talking about issues that we need to be talking about. Um, you know, we won't, I won't digress at length about high-stakes testing. Um, I've got, you know, certainly links here that you can go to if you want to see some of my views about No Child Left Behind and how it's been very damaging because it's narrowed our curriculum. We've got schools that don't do any science because it's not tested anymore and, you know, schools that don't care about technology or any of that, you know, digital learning. So it's, um, it's not the case that I would agree with everything that they said, but I think it's a, it's a good movie. I look forward to it coming out on DVD because that will mean, you know, probably a lot more people being able to see it but that is available for you as well. Um, we are 
today, let's see, here's the International Children's Digital Library, which I've linked. And down here in the corner, you've got links if you've got um, an iPhone or iPod Touch or an iPad to those apps. We're going to have our uh, Pet Your Future presentations, and I'm going to take the remaining time at the end of class to talk a little bit about geo apps because that's the next uh, next thing that we're going to be talking about. On our website, under assignments, I have added a Google Calendar, and what this shows are deadlines as well as other important things, like we will be here regular class on Monday, but Wednesday you'll have an online assignment. So I'll actually be in Michigan, so um, I have put that assignment um, on your on our curriculum, and it is to take a look at this presentation, 20 minutes, by Kevin Hodgson called the Heroic Journey Project. And this is going to introduce you to how Google Maps and Google Earth can be used in an instructional project for students. So um, that, this uh, calendar has been added. You still have your, your other links here. Underneath resources, um, we've now got a link to GeoApps, and I'm going to cover a little bit of this today, and I'll cover more of it. Um, tomorrow, but uh, or not tomorrow, Monday, um, but we're going to be talking about uh, Google Earth, Google SketchUp, um, and we're going to do Monday a collaborative project together that lets us all put stuff on the same map, and then that will be showing you what to do for your assignment, which is going to be to make your own um, Google map, and um, underneath assignments, I've got that just started, but I'll be adding some more things to that. Um, Google Map assignment. Um, remember, your VoiceThread assignment is due on Sunday. So I uh, and don't has anybody panicked about their test score? By the way, their exam score. Okay, yeah, because it doesn't grade short answer questions automatically. So if you got 10%, that means you've got the matching question right. It's the only one that it scored. I haven't scored anybody's test yet. I'm going to do my best to have those graded uh, by Monday and then you will see your grade appropriately there. So um, I do need to talk to um, Shakina Powell and Emma Hale after class if I can, just because I had a question on your quiz. So you're not in terrible trouble, don't worry. But I need to chat with you real quick. Um, and does anybody have any questions about the schedule or quizzes or tests or anything like that? We'll see how much time you guys leave me to do geo apps at the end. So, okay. Well, please link to our Pechacucha peer evaluation. Um, have any of you received feedback? Thought some of the feedback was harsh. Anybody gotten harsh feedback? Hopefully, you guys are being respectful, right? As you're providing feedback, it's good to provide constructive feedback, right? But you wouldn't want to as we were talking about before class, you know, begin by saying, you may want to be reevaluate your career goals or, you know, saying something that's really neat. Um, we call an approach a sandwich approach when we're giving feedback to somebody. You know, a lot of times we'll start out with not something just fluffy and silly, but genuine, you know. I really loved your photos and how you, you know, selected images that included your personal pictures as well as other ones, whatever. And then you can give your constructive feedback, your criticism. One of the things that we will hopefully get to do some of later in the semester is comment on some teacher blogs or some classroom blogs. And that's going to be really important when we comment on those kids' blogs, right? Because this is a real blog. They're really writing on it. They're really going to see your comments. So it really matters what you say. So anyway, keep that in mind. Um, continue to give good feedback. 
don't worry, you're not graded on what the, your peers say about you. So your assessment is just um, based on my evaluation. And I'm providing this for you so that you get more feedback, which is hopefully helpful to you. You see how this can work, because you can do the same thing with your students as far as having a feedback form, using a Google form for it. Um, so there's multiple reasons for doing that. Okay, any questions or comments before we start? Okay, would anybody like to volunteer to go first? Okay, hey. Okay, my name is Amanda Nunez, and I'm going to talk about teen pregnancy and how it relates to my life and how it's really affected my life. So, talk about that. In the United States, uh, we're one of the most industrialized countries who has the highest rates of teen pregnancies. About 750,000 teenagers are pregnant each year in the United States. Among these, about one-third of all teenage girls will become pregnant, um, with about 85% of these pregnancies being unplanned. So they don't mean to get pregnant. Education um, is important in our society, and unfortunately only about two-thirds of girls um, will graduate when they're pregnant in high school. In the state of Texas, abstinence-only education um, is being taught. It's very debatable because, you know, some people think it's not as effective um, as teaching safe sex, so that's what's taught in Texas. Low birth weight and poor health, along with um, poverty, are some of the issues with teenage pregnancy. And only about 7.2% of moms get prenatal care. Single parents are also another issue um, with teenage pregnancies because, you know, mothers don't get the right education, they don't get the right jobs. Um, also depression, that's one of the major issues. Uh, many mothers, young mothers, become depressed because they don't know what to do with their lives. We all have stories um, that make us who we are today. So teenage pregnancy definitely has affected my life and my family's life. This is a picture um, at the time that is, I'm the oldest, uh, that is my middle sister Vanessa and my younger sister Nadia. And me and my sister are about a year and a half apart. At the age of 14, my sister um, let us know that she was actually pregnant. And she was already four months, so she waited a while before she had the guts to tell us. Um, not only that, but my mom just got remarried. So she was also seven months pregnant, and I had to deal with my mom and my sister pregnant at the same time. Uh, my sister, she felt shameful. She was scared. You know, she couldn't come up to us and talk to us because she thought my mom wouldn't accept it because, you know, she's having problems with her pregnancy. I basically watched my sister's childhood be taken away from her. Um, she couldn't do things, you know, that I could do, go to prom, have fun with friends in high school. As a family, we definitely had to unite and come together in order to support my sister, in order to you know make sure she's on the right track and to help her with my niece. Watching um, labor with my mom and my sister was definitely different. Um, with my mom, we were excited. With my sister, we were scared. You know, we didn't want her to go through all that pain. 
her, my sister and her boyfriend did graduate high school um, with the help of the family. You know, I tried to make sure she had everything done. She did graduate high school. That is my sister, um, her boyfriend, Stephen, and my niece, Selena. Um, they're about 19 right now. My niece is four years old. Um, of course, they both have dreams and aspirations to do things, but you know, that's on hold right now because they have to take care of their family, and that does cost a lot of money to you know, take care of a family. That is my little sister and my niece, Selena. Um, they're about three months apart. Uh, they mean the world to me, and I definitely want to make sure that you know others get in contact with teens and let them know you know what's going on, and they can prevent this. So we're excited. Do I do from beginning? Okay. Um, my name is April Camelon, and I decided to do my presentation on our family vacation to the British Virgin Islands. We went here in 2008, and we also celebrated my dad's 50th birthday. Um, this is a boat we stayed on. Um, it's called the Promenade. We stayed here the majority of our trip. It's a 65-foot boat, and there are six bedrooms underneath. 
we actually had a captain, a chef, and a deck hand on the boat with us. And um, before the trip, we planned out our menu and everything, so it was all ready for us. And the food was amazing. Um, this picture was taken in Tortola, where we actually landed. Um, all of the pictures on my slideshow are from our actual trip. They're not from the Internet. This is also taken in Tortola. We parked here for a little while to plan out our trip, and we mapped out what islands we wanted to see and things we wanted to do. It was, it was so beautiful. It was crazy. Um, this is Jacques Van Dyke. This is a scuba shop. Um, a lot of the um, shops around there had a lot of character, as you can tell, and they're really unique. <laughs> this is my crazy family. Um, my brother-in-law is actually a photographer, so he catches a lot of our crazy moments, <laughs> and he's never in the pictures. <laughs> Um, this is Soggy Dollar Bar. Um, we anchored here and canoed up to shore, and we came here to taste the painkiller drink, which BBI is known for. Um, this is White Bay Beach, um, where we hung out for the day and had our painkillers. And what a painkiller drink is, it's Puster's Dark Rum, orange juice, cream of coconut, pineapple juice, and fresh nutmeg. And it's actually really good. And you can't really find it here. So it's one of a kind. Um, these are the baths. This is off Virgin Gorda. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's a pretty big tourist site. Um, everybody just parks their boat up, and you can actually walk up a trail through the crevices and all the inner caves. Um, and at the very top, there's a restaurant and some shops you can go to. Um, it's really beautiful, but it's definitely a workout. <laughs> there's a lot of walking. This is Willie T's. It's a stationary bar off of Norman Island. This place gets really crazy with music and dancing. Um, I have a lot of pictures I can use for blackmail <laughs> for my family. Um, this is my sister and I on Salt Island. Um, nobody actually lives here, but there's a lot of grave sites on the island, so it's kind of eerie. This is my brother um, when they went snorkeling off of um, a shipwreck in Rowan Marine Park. I didn't go because it's not really my thing. Um, this is my brother-in-law, my brother, and our deckhand that was with us. They did this almost every day, usually after cocktail hour. <laughs> that also wasn't my thing. Um, this is the last place we went. It is Marina Key off of Virgin Gorda. Um, we stayed here for two nights in the villas, and the villas actually don't have any air conditioning, which is interesting. <laughs> um, it's a pretty secluded island. This is actually from our villa, this picture. Um, it's known as the Best Kept Secret in the uh, British Virgin Islands. It's a really unique place. The food was awesome, and the employees actually leave, leave the island every night. So no one sleeps there, it's, uh, only us, only the people in the village. And this is my family's last day in the boat. Um, what they did was they actually blogged our trip the whole way so we could have pictures and then give us maps and everything. It was absolutely beautiful, and hopefully we can move again soon. And this is my work segment. Questions, feedback, comments? Did you run into pirates? No. Well, there are some at Willie Keys, but not, you know, they're dressed up and they're crazy. Really? So, but how did you know they were like. Well, just people dressed up as pirates. Oh, okay. Because I've heard people who have gone to the Caribbean and stuff before have like, yeah. actually ran into like drug runners and. You know, um, when we people. were at one of the beaches, a lot of people were looking for the Rock and, you know, stuff like that, but. Um, the people are really nice. I mean, people like stare at you a lot, <laughs> especially blonde head people and you know stuff like that. But right. it was beautiful. It was so much fun. Wow. Yeah. Any other questions or comments? All right. Good job. Feedback form. Good job.
Josh April for tackling the Inspire model. That's not a lot of time. Okay, um, my presentation is called The Hat She Wears. Oh, that was fast. And my name is Abigail Evans. Um, as teachers, we have unexpected roles in the classroom that we don't receive formal training for. It's our job as educators to not only teach the standard curriculum, but to teach everyday life skills that make our students more well-rounded individuals who so can go out into the world and be successful and motivated in whatever they decide to do. Here are a few ways that um, learn to handle each role effectively. Um, one of these roles, or hats, is the maker of meaningful curriculum. Um, a way to deepen a child's understanding of the information being taught is to use cross-curriculum. And this means carrying what you are learning from one subject into another. So students need to realize that math relates to science and reading relates to history. And by blending these, um, the child's learning will be deepened. Um, the creative coach is this physical education being rapidly removed from the school system. Is becoming our job as a primary educator to incorporate physical activity into our curriculum. Some fun ways to do this include creating a stretch routine that the children can get up and do every hour, have videos that they can dance to, and conduct review games with um, like happy facts and baseball. Mm -hmm. the, the cultural informer is, is our duty to get to know each student in our classroom, to research their backgrounds, and to celebrate each and every culture that's present. And doing this, children from different cultures will feel welcome, included, and safe. The nutrition advocate. Um, every, every day, more and more children in America are being diagnosed with diabetes and obesity. And as educators, we cannot control what's being fed to the child outside of school. But what we can do is what we do best, and that's to educate kids about healthy food options and why they're important. And to model these, this healthy lifestyle in the classroom. Um, the psychologist. With each child, there comes a different temperament, individual background knowledge, and unique set of values and beliefs. And while we should be not counseling our students technically, we should be aware of these personalized characteristics and take them into consideration in the classroom. And we need to be able to recognize change in the child's behavior and attitude to just be able to um, report any issues maybe that's going on at home. The humanitarian. Children will look up to us and view us as one of the most important people in their lives when we are their teacher. By incorporating service activities into your school year, students will be able to see the value and importance of it. Some ways you can do this is by taking field trips that involve serving others, like reading to the elderly. Um, Miss Manners. It's important to establish a sense of respect in your classroom, creating rules and procedures that model this idea of respect and talk about why it's important to respect others. The Great Expectations Program is one way to implement this. It's the callback method that uses inspirational and uplifting quotes memorized by students. And it's important to get this manners message across. The environmentalists. Our earth is in bad shape these days. Pollution and overuse of materials is getting to be out of control. We have the opportunity to educate the future generation about how to stop the damage from being done. And we can teach our students about ways to take care of the environment, like recycling. One fun thing would be to like have a project using old materials and making something new out of it, like that camera. The great socializer. It's should be our goal to not only teach our students what to think, but how to think. Encourage problem solving and compromise in your classroom, and get to know your students and figure out what type of learner they are. Then put them in groups and give them opportunities to show their strengths. We want students to thrive and feel like they are good at things. The mechanic. 
It's our job to equip students with tools that will help them become more successful in their learning in our classroom and when they leave. Incorporate strategies for different topics such as songs or mnemonic devices that children can use when they're testing. And they will remember these and use them their whole lives to fill up their toolboxes. The Society Exposure. I remember just about every guest speaker that came through my elementary school and spoke to us. Inviting guest speakers to come and talk to your students is a great way to bring the outside world into your classroom and expose them to society. Policemen and firefighters, doctors, lawyers, expose them to all different types of careers, and who knows, your students may be inspired to become one. The one who keeps up. We have all learned through this course how important the integration of technology is in the classroom. It is going to be our job to incorporate and teach this informal subject to our students. Some ideas I have gained from this course include implementing classroom blogs, providing a classroom website, incorporating computer activities and lesson plans, and allowing children to become comfortable typing and using technical devices. The Einstein. This hat is not intended to label children as geniuses, but instead to recognize what this historical figure accomplished. We need to encourage creativity and new ideas, promote out-of-the-box thinking in our students, to allow them to feel safe and valued for their ideas. Push your students ask questions, explain to them that there is more than one way to get an answer. The organizer. We should model organization and organizational skills in our classroom. In doing so, the children feel safe because they're in a predictable environment and their minds will be free of clutter and open to learning. One way to do this is to do planners every week and have them take them home and communicate with parents. Um, the carpenter. We are helping carve our students into adults and we should never take this responsibility lightly. Be supportive, encouraging, and the child's biggest cheerleader. Be careful with your wording, your actions, and your attitudes. The images and ideas of you will stick with a room full of children for the rest of their lives. Let's be one of the teachers that they look back and say she was one of the great ones. The initiator of lifelong readers. Reading is the key to learning, and instilling a love for reading is one of the greatest gifts you can give your students. Give your children options on what they can read and limit the amount of mandatory assigned books. Give children ample opportunities and plenty of time during the school day to read alone, read to someone else, and to read aloud. The juggler. We should always be mixing up our teaching so that it's fresh and exciting. Different children will be coming through our doors each year that are going to require different styles of teaching. Don't become stagnant or boring with the way you're presenting curriculum year after year. Stumble it up. The nurturer. Your students are going to be in your classroom for more hours a day than they are at home. Creating a stimulating, safe, welcoming, and organized environment with increase, will increase student learning. The physical setup of your classroom is important, but so is the feeling of it. The classroom should be a place where learning is welcome and it is safe to express thoughts and ideas. The student. We must become a learner ourselves so that we can be the best teacher possible. Constantly reading and expanding your current knowledge is one way to do this. Being willing to change and modify your teaching style and curriculum is key. Seek advice and ideas from your coworkers and attend conferences and seminars. If you're going to expect our students to have desire for learning, we must too. No, I just I think I kept like a lot of different things I learned from different classes. Really? So like out of not textbook stuff, the stuff they just will tell you. I know I had a lot of ideas, but um, no, it's just stuff that different teachers have spoke, but it's not necessarily right. Um, right. Anything else?
my name is Jeanette Treviso, and I'm actually going to share with you guys on my trip to Florida. It happened a year ago, but I'm from Kansas. I've never been to this, the beach at all. So I was really happy to get the chance to see this. This really, like, blew me away. Um, if we actually went to the Weston Diplomat Resort, and we got to stay there for four days. Uh, we could do too much. We were four days. We just swam and slept and ate. And it's really awesome if you guys have the opportunity to actually get to go to a, a, like a place where you can just swim and do whatever you want. Um, I've never gotten to do that, and I was really happy I got the, got the chance to do that. Um, the first time at the beach, and I will surely go back. Um, this guy played piano every day. Um, we became really good friends because I love to sing, and he let me sing with him sometimes. Um, he played like the Miley Cyrus song for me. It's my favorite song, like The Climb. It's so cute. Um, we got to do a lot of walking and visiting and sightseeing. This is the Versace Mansion. Um, we didn't actually get to do a tour. They do do tours, um, but we didn't have enough time for that. We got to visit the Miami Zoo. My first time to see the flamingos. It was, it was really awesome to take pictures of all the animals. I wish I could have shared all that with you guys. I got to feed a giraffe. It's nothing crazy, but their tongues are really long and kind of slimy. But it was, it was cute, and it was so fun. I love elephants. Um, I got to take pictures of, of, of elephants, like, I'm crazy about elephants. Um, I had a, just a 7 megapixel camera, and we met this guy, he's actually very famous uh, zoologist. He comes on the television all the time on the Mexican channel, I don't know if you guys know him, but I saw him and I was like, I know that guy! And we got to take a picture of him, with him. We went to Universal Studios, that was awesome for me. I love movies, who doesn't? Um, we got to get on a bunch of rides and... It's all about film, so we actually got to see like the way they kind of make films. These people are actually from the audience. They got a chance to be a part of this film that we later saw. It was a green screen and everything. I had to put this one in there. I love Will Smith, Men in Black. He actually uh, explained the simulation. You know how in the movie he actually got to shoot aliens? That's what we did. I love Dr. Seuss. So I just fell in love with Universal Studios. I got to take a picture with him. I was actually in one of his musicals, musicals, so it was fun. This is Poseidon's Temple. I really like Universal Studios' elaborate architecture, even though it's you know not real. But it was the way they put everything together. It they made it really lifelike. Inside this temple, it actually felt like it was groaning and there was like leakage, like sound effects. It made it sound like like it was gonna fall apart at any moment. Who could forget the Jurassic Park theme park? Um, those dinosaurs actually looked like they were going to eat us, but they never got near us. This is one of my favorites as well. This little tomb that you hear in all the comics. I actually took a picture. It's actually, a, this is actually taken vertically, but you're supposed to display it like horizontally, so it looks like he actually is, you know, pulling me away, but he's not. <laughs> Um, this last picture here, they have a lot of Cuban music and Cuban food, so that was one of my favorite parts of the world eating, and I'm just glad I got to experience some sites that I've never got to see before. Where in Kansas? I'm from liberal Kansas. Yeah. No ocean.
My name is Chelsea Ellis, and I'm doing mine on my daughter, um, Kirsten. So, um, December, um, well, I didn't think 20 seconds for the first slide, sorry. Um, you have to wait to find out what I'm really talking about, sorry. Okay, December 9th was a dark day for me. This picture is actually, like, perfect to represent how I felt. Um, because I knew it was a long, dark road ahead of me, but I didn't know what was in the future, what was going to um, happen next. So the fog just represents that. It's just so not clear. This is my daughter, um, Kirsten. She's my youngest, and this is her nine months. Um, on this side is when she's healthy and happy and developed, um, advanced, you know. But the other side is her December 9th, after she had some seizures. Um, and so this was the start of a long run. <laughs> um, so it shows in the blink of an eye what can happen. Um, this is her at the um, pediatric ICU after she had seizures, and we didn't know what was the cause of it. Um, but she was diagnosed a couple days um, to have epilepsy. Um, but what is epilepsy? Most people think it's just something you can test for. It's you know, just you have epilepsy. But really what it is is they test for all these underlying um, uh, types of infections or tumors or anything to find out if what, what's causing the seizures. But this is when you just don't have a reason for the seizures. They're unprovoked. And one out of ten people have seizures, but they don't know why and what the cure is. Um, and uh, this is just to represent that it's out of our hands, it's out of the doctor's hands because there's no cure. But, in, but I like this picture because I feel like it's in God's hands. Um, there's so many tests to be done um, to look for what's causing seizures, not the epilepsy, but the seizures. This is a CAT scan. They did CAT scans to look for tumors. They did a spinal tap on her to look for meningitis. They did blood tests to look for vitamin deficiencies that cause seizures. But nothing was coming up. Everything was normal. And um, so this is one of the tests being done. It's an EEG, electroencephalogram. I can't even say it. But it's a long word. You can look it up. <laughs> uh, but this kind of um, tracks the brain waves and to kind of determine where the seizures are coming from. They can... They can't stop seizures, but they can, well, they can with medicines. They can try to prevent them from happening. Um, but as you grow, more seizures can come. But they, there's so many types of anti-seizure drugs. It's insane. But this was her experiencing a bunch, bunch of them in her system. Um, this was on the way out of ICU. Yay, no seizures for a weekend. We're good. We're going to a regular room. Um, and two hours after we got to the room, she started having seizures again. So they wheeled her down to the epilepsy monitoring unit, and that's when she had 30 seizures in 24 hours, two minutes apiece, going blue in the face. Like, it was scary. Um, this is the epilepsy monitoring unit technician, and she's actually hooking the EEG up again to see if we can figure out what's going on. And that box of cables is telling her where on the head to put each electrode and um, each had their own place to note where things are coming from. This picture is kind of yucky, and it just doesn't do it justice. Right across the hallway, there was um, the epilepsy monitoring unit, and it was full of monitors and videos of live um, video of kids being tested, and it showed all their brain waves, 
steady pace, but then when you see your child having a seizure, it just went berserk. It was insane to know that was going on in her head. This is my husband in our epilepsy monitoring room, and I call it the, um, oh, what do I call it? The, the camera lights action photo because she's constant recording going on. It just, boom, the lights would come on, microphone would come on, everything to monitor everything going on with her. This is, she was about to start walking when the seizure started. She could barely sit up because of all the medicines and all the stuff she had been through. So we actually had pillows all the way around her crib because she would think she could get up and then she would just fall back over. So uh, this shows us having to always hold her up. Because she was regressing developmentally, um, the occupational and physical therapists came in daily to work and kind of note, well, what's going on? This is going on. And, and what I needed to do after I left the hospital. Um, she's obviously a little more alert here in this photo. And then when you're in a hospital for two weeks, yeah, it doesn't sound that long, but it's a really long time. And you've got it. I was Googling all the time, like, what's this medicine? What's this medicine? Are they going to give her this? This is like an adult medicine. And so sometimes I just had to have fun. And that's her baby's head is wrapped like hers because I didn't want her to feel alone. <laughs> I love this picture because she was starting to sit up a little bit better. I could kind of see the brightness in her eyes, but I felt like this picture, she's like, how did I get here? What, what's going on? Because she started seeing me more like herself again. So it was like a breakthrough a little bit. This represents my face. Um, I had a moment where I just had to let go and let God and take control. I didn't know it was going to hit me, but this was a hard moment, and um, once I gave it to him, I knew I could get through my struggle. Um, family and friends were amazing. They all came, people we didn't even know came to us and talked to us, and they just um, took care of my other kids, brought meals, and it just shows the love of everybody that they came together to help people they didn't even know or people they loved. This is Kirsten today. She's doing fabulous. January 23rd, she'll have been seizure-free for a year. And so I'm just very thankful she was around. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't think no, I was going to get emotional. medicine just making an abrupt improvement or? Oh, they tried so many. Nothing was actually her epilepsy specialist said that um, so I was like, can we get her all this medicine that she's on So was that basically a process of just testing what was there and then seeing what worked? I mean, yeah, she just had to go through all these different types. And, you know, 
modern medicine is, you know, because situations like that definitely show, hey, if we were living 100 years ago or maybe even, you know, sooner, you know, it's, that's a blessing. And um, thanks for your courage in talking about it. One of the things I've found is as you talk about things like that, it's actually, it's a good thing to talk about it. And sometimes you don't expect your emotion to come out in different situations. Um, but I think it's a positive thing to be able to talk about that. And um, so... Takes, takes courage to do that. So thank all of you very much for your presentations, and you have left me about 30 minutes, which is which is good. So we are going to talk a little bit about um, Google Earth and Google Maps, and shift gears a little bit, um, and, and talk a little bit about about that. Um, before I jump into that, I've also linked on our curriculum for this week this fireside chat and. The K-12 online conference, you may or may not know, but I, I'm one of the organizers for this conference. This is a free um, conference that it, we're in our fifth year of, of doing it. And uh, Dean Shiresky is a educator in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. And his presentation, um, which is called Sharing the Moral Imperative, got published on Monday. And it's so cool. It's been viewed 883 times so far. Um, and we just learned, I've, I have a meeting every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, and I go to the Sweetwater Tavern. I've been there like five times now. <clears throat> we just found out that we got into iTunes U. So um, all of the conference um, presentations are, are in there. And so um, starting on Monday, four presentations per week are going to be published. I'm the convener for the Student Voices strand, um, but um, there's a lot of content. Just so many great ideas that are coming from teachers. And so Dean is going to actually be live tomorrow night, and I'll be on the, the call. It's going to be in an environment that's called Illuminate. This is, this is completely optional. You do not have to do this. Um, I'm just letting you know that this is available. Um, Illuminate is actually a fairly expensive online meeting place. Has anybody used Illuminate before? Has anybody used WebEx or Wimba or Adobe Acrobat Live? Not, not the reader, but like uh, Acrobat Live's Adobe's Live Classroom. Um, well, we may, and I don't know, the university may provide Wimba. Um, when I taught at the University of, North, of uh, Central Oklahoma last semester, they had just started to, now they've merged, so I don't know whether it's the same thing or what. But anyway, um, the, the way this works is his actual meeting, which is called a fireside chat, will take place on, uh, at 7 o'clock 
And it's got the, the GMT time. So it's 12 a.m. to 1 a.m. GMT time. Well, what the heck is that? So this is the global conference. So we've got one of our conveners is actually in Brisbane, Australia. One's in New Hampshire. One's in L.A. I'm here. So uh, we publish our times for events in Greenwich Mean Time, which is in England. But Chicago, that's 7 p.m. So 7 p.m. tomorrow, uh, if you want, and I, I bet there will probably be at least 100 people that will uh, be here, you will click this link for Illuminate, and it's going to install some software on your computer, and then you're going to be in this live um, chat room, and you'll put in your name and say whether you have a cable modem or DSL, and um, then Dean will be there, and he'll be sharing part of his presentation that they'll play, and he'll be answering questions and talking. So you don't have to use your microphone and talk. You can just lurk and be there. But there will be a text uh, channel that's there. And I had never done anything like this until four years ago when K-12 started in 2006. And um, it's just it's phenomenal to be able to learn like this. And obviously... You're spending money to get your education here, and this is all, you know, good as far as completing your education. But the educational possibilities that we have now to connect with other teachers and um, almost all of the presentations for this conference are by current classroom teachers or recent classroom teachers. I mean, Dean's taught for 20 years. He started as a kindergarten teacher in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. I've never heard of Moose Jaw before, but anyway, that's where he lives. And so I just wanted to, to give you a plug for that, and I have uh, linked that. But that, that happens at 7 o'clock tomorrow night um, if you want to um, join in on that. So what I'd like to do now is take us through some of the resources that I've got uh, linked now underneath a, a category that's called GeoApps. How many of you have used Google Earth before? Okay, so not quite half. Go ahead and launch Google Earth. One of the things I requested that they do in this lab at the beginning of the semester was install Google Earth. And so if you go to your start menu and drill down, you can find the folder for Google Earth, and you should be able to launch it. Um, does anybody know how much Google Earth costs? <laughs> you can purchase um, a commercial version of it, I think, if you want to be fancier and, like, connect a GPS unit to it and do, do fancier stuff. But it's free. It's available for Mac and for Windows. And um, when, you, when you launch Google Earth, um, you can put in this, uh, in this box right here, Fly To, and we can just, uh, you know, put in a location. So I'm just going to put Denton, Texas, hit Return, and we're just going to fly into Denton, Texas. And, ooh, look, Matthews Hall. Isn't that kind of wild? Did it know that, you think? It's kind of interesting. Um, a couple things about navigating Google Earth. This is the sidebar over here, and up in the upper left corner, if you see where my mouse is, I can click and hide the sidebar. So this actually lets me have the whole screen here. And then over on the right, I've got some zoom tools so that I can zoom in, and I can also um, you know, do, do some things with rotation. I can um, spin around like this, and then this, uh, where's my thing to pan. Here we go. This is how I can pan. Now, right now, this doesn't look that impressive, but that's because I don't have um, 3D buildings in this particular image. And if I I'm just going to try
trying to rotate. Um, here in a minute, I'm going to show you um, an example of a literature trip that has been created in Boston, and we'll see how, how 3D buildings look. So Google Earth, I'm going to play you a video, um, which is an example of a project that I actually did with my kids a couple, well, was it a year ago or so? Um, March 14, 2009. And there is a project, I don't have this linked on, but it's called Film on the Fly. And it's, it's an awesome project. It is a cell phone digital storytelling challenge. And so um, it basically let people sign up. It gave them a challenge that you got on your cell phone as a text message. And you had 24 hours to make a video with your cell phone. Everything had to be done with your cell phone. So this particular challenge happened on Pi Day, which would be what? That's right, March the 14th. And um, our family happened to be in Wichita, Kansas, where they have a building that's called the Century 2 building, which is a round building. So this is the video that we created on our cell phone. I use my iPhone.
was a lot of fun to do. Um, how many times do you think my son tried to get that recording right? Do you think he got that his first time? No, he did not. In fact, I think we shot just him saying the answer with 54 hundredths like four times, you know, to get that right. It's one of the great things about recording. You get to do it again and get it right. I am so excited that we have a tub of flip cameras in the department. And not next week, but the week after I come back from Michigan, on either Monday or Tuesday, we're going to do a scavenger hunt activity with the flip camps. So I'm going to have, there's like 15 of them, we'll partner up, and you're going to go out and go video something, and we're going to use those and, you know, create some, some video with it. There's just so many things that we can do, especially since cameras are cheaper. How much did a camcorder cost, like, back in the day? Do you remember how much it used to be, like, in Walmart or Target? Just, like, for a regular one, like, to have a digital camcorder. I mean... Okay. Well, I mean, I bought my first digital camcorder for $1,200. In fact, I bought it on a, like, Best Buy had a thing where you could pay it off in a year and not get interest or whatever. But, I mean, I still have that thing. It's really, really big. I mean, this video, I had a different, my original iPhone we, we shot. But how many of you have a phone that will take video? Does anybody have I mean, that's amazing, and your kids will too, right? A lot of your students. Not everybody's going to have a phone, but a lot of them will. So being able to use technology in this kind of way, um, the backstory of this is we weren't staying at the Sheraton in Wichita. We actually had to sneak up because they had one of these elevators that you had to have a key to get in. <laughs> so we were like kind of hanging out, and someone came, and we jumped on, and we rode up to the top floor, and we had just gone to 7-Eleven to get a Visa V pin. Because we just thought, wouldn't that be kind of cool if we, you know, we, we did the problem as you looked over the, the building. So, you know what, I bet my son remembers pi and remembers circumference a lot better because he did this kind of activity. Especially because he had to create something to share. So there's a lot in this particular video that is something good that we could encourage kids to do and we could use our, our tools um, uh, that we have and our students have to do. But the main reason of showing that was for Google Earth. So in Google Earth, um, as an example, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pan back down. In fact, I'm going to put, let's, let's measure Matthews Hall. Um, I'm going to put Matthews Hall, Denton, Texas. And over here on the side, there are... I don't think that's right. I'm going to Matthew, Matthew Keenan Matthews Hall. This is what I want is at, at UNT. These are the search results just like you would find in Google. And kids will connect with their neighborhood, right? Where do I live? That's one of the first things. You may have already, how many people have looked at your house or your apartment or wherever you live? Okay, on Google. That's one of the first things you want to do. Woo! And it's kind of cool to see, oh, man, look, that car is there. Or that, when we lived in Texas, our um, picture of our house had this big old trash bin that sometimes they have when they're roofing or whatever. At your, and we never had that when we lived at our house. That had to be before we bought our house. Anyway, you can sometimes date the, the satellite picture based on the things that you see. Yes, that's a great question. Does anybody know how to take a picture of your screen? 
Um, I think it's actually just print screen. So what I might do, like if I wanted to take this picture, I might hide the sidebar so I've got the full, the full thing here. If you just press on your keyboard, did, uh, did you say print screen? Up at the top of your keyboard, beside the function keys, beside F12, there's one that says system, SYSRQ, and then PRTSCN. I think we have to hold a button down. It does, okay. So if you hold down Control-Alt and press print screen, nothing appears to change on the computer. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to open up PowerPoint. I'll just open up one of these on the desktop and then get a new one. And so here's a new blank presentation. And if I paste my clipboard, look at that. Whoa, isn't that awesome? So anything that I have on my screen, I can use the print screen command to capture. Now, if you have a Mac, and you can Google for this too, say screen capture on a Mac, um, the quick key combination is like shift control 3 or 4 or something like that. Um, as a little tip, and I am like, I love this application. I use this application every single week on my Mac. It is free. It is called Skitch. There are not, pro I haven't found a program on Windows that's exactly like this one, because it also lets me not just take a screenshot, but annotate. I can draw arrows. I can put text and say, here, look at this. In fact, if you visit my blog, you will see in a lot of posts that I do, um, you'll see examples of like just like this. Okay, I put this picture on yesterday, and I put that text on, um, the web address and the date. That was done with Skitch. So, good question. Yes, you can capture, um, capture things on, on Google Earth, and that's a good thing to know for your students, too. So, let's do this right now. Let's measure the length and the height of Matthews Hall to get an idea of how much area it takes up. Is this, is this Matthews Hall here? This building right here? Child Development Lab. Where's the unit? Again, this is why it can be good to. Uh huh. Okay. Oh, thank you. Would you mind showing that to us real quick? Sure. This is a great example of how sometimes your students will know more than you. And you need to be willing to let them take the mouse and actually show. Okay, so. So there's a street view picture then from every every angle where there's a little camera. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? 
I just looked at my house. I was like, oh my god, that house is so cool. I really. Now, anybody have any idea how they did this? They have cars. They go around with cameras on top of them and literally take pictures every, you know, however many feet that is, between them. Awesome. So what do you think about the level of engagement your kids might have with this? This is magical, guys. That's, that's, that's on the other side. Okay. They want you to spread me. All right. So let's have, let's give our expert demonstrator a hand. Thank you very much. Does anybody else want to? This is nothing else, too. You know, I'm I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. What's my tendency to just drive the mouse and to do everything? What's better to do? Let somebody else drive. So, would somebody volunteer to? Um, we'll help you. We won't leave you all by yourself. But to exit the photo and then we'll measure together the the length and width of Matthew's Hall. Come on, somebody be courageous. We could, by the way, if we had a smart board, you know, up on the screen. Google Earth lends itself well to doing that. We could go up and with our hand, go up there and click. Anybody willing to do it? Okay, I'll do it. You guys get to do it at your own at your own seat. So I'm exiting that. Isn't that cool? Man. That is so, so cool. All right, so this is Matthew's Hall right here. Right? This one? Okay, so what do we need to do to uh, measure? Based off that video, we saw what? We need to go up to the top, and these are all these different tools, which, by the way, we're in Google Earth. There's also Google Sky, Google Mars, Google Moon. When I visited the Google campus in Mountain View, California in June, they had this very cool little um, room that it was small. It was about this big. There was a little joystick in the top. They had LCD, probably like 50-inch LCD TVs turned on their sides, computers under each one, and all the LCDs went around. And it was Google Moon, and you flew around the moon just like you were on a lunar lander or something, and all these LCD screens were around. So I haven't even really explored Google Sky and Google Mars. You need to find your ruler, which is right next to the button for switching between Earth, sky, and the planets. And just like you saw me do in that demonstration, you're going to click once for the start, once for the end. And so how many feet is it? How, how, what is the length of Matthew's Hall? Uh, what, what units are you in? Do we need to learn about meters, kilometers, feet, all that stuff in school? Of course. This is real-world application, you know, all kinds of assignments you could do. I'd like you to plot where your, you know, how far is it to your house when you drive on the car or when you walk on the sidewalk. Um, so meters, we've got 44 uh, meters. Um, uh, for width, and then we can draw again to get our, I guess that was length, 20. We can make that kind of a calculation. In addition to drawing lines, you can also draw a path. So if I wanted to calculate the, um, the circumference around Matthews Hall, I've clicked on the, the ruler, 
I'm on the path. Now I'm going to click, and every time I click, it's going to make another point, and so I eventually can get all the way around Matthews Hall, and it's you know over over 100 meters. How much is that in miles? About an eight uh, eight hundredth of a mile. So that's just one example of using Google Earth. Now, the one more thing I'm going to have time to show you is called Google Lit Trips, and I have this linked on our Geo app uh, at the top. Favorite integration example. Um, I actually know Jerome Berg. I was in China with him uh, last year at Halloween, and he is now a retired English teacher in Silicon Valley in Palo Alto, California. And he's a certified Google educator, and he created this website, Google Lit Trips, as a way to help teachers use Google Earth with students to explore literature. So these are organized by grade level. Since most of us are going to be elementary teachers, let's go into grades K through 5. And I'm going to actually scroll down to the one that is called Make Way for Ducklings by Robert McCleskey. Anybody heard of this book before? It's a fun book about Boston. And each of these lit trips have been created in Google Earth. And up in the corner, you can see it says download.dkmz. So this isn't a doc, a Word file, DOC. It's not a PowerPoint, PPT. It is a Google Earth file. And for whatever reason, they call those KMZ files. So when I click this link, it says, what do you want me to do with this? And I am going to actually tell it to open it with Google Earth. And so now when I click OK, it's going to download that and put this into Google Earth. Now, I am going to change up my um, screen over here a little bit. I'm going to move this up, and I'm going to expand my places, okay? And so that, and you can see that I might want to turn some stuff off here. I'll go ahead and turn off the street view. I'm going to, I'm going to leave 3D buildings on. These are all layers. I'm going to turn off the Panoramio photos. Make Way for Ducklings is a book about the Mallard Duck family. This is a like primary age book who are going to Boston and they're looking for a home. It's kind of like the best nest. And so we might first start in the public garden. So we click here and what happens, we've got embedded content with pictures of the swan boat and the public garden. And we even have some questions that have suggested. What are some concerns Mr. and Mrs. Mallard have about raising a family? So we can um, go to these you know, sequential spots. And one of the things you'll learn to do Monday, I'm going to teach you how to do, is how to put content like this in. So he's actually put an image in here and a link, or whoever created this. I don't know that Jerome made this one. Different teachers have made them and sent them to him. Um, but this is a way of exploring Boston. Now, here's my favorite part. I'm going to turn off 3D buildings, and I'm going to go to uh, probably the most exciting part of the um, story, which is when Michael, the policeman, helps the Mallard family, because they're walking, help, helps them cross the road. All right, and it's a very traumatic part of the book. Well, watch my screen really quick here as I turn on 3D buildings. Whoa, look at that. 
isn't it awesome to have this kind of perspective and think about, wow, what was that like for the Mallard family? We can even walk right along the path where they walked and follow where they went and do all of that here inside Google Earth. So, very, very cool. There is, There are a lot of different lit trips. Um, my other favorite one to show is usually uh, Homer's Iliad uh, from the Iliad and the Odyssey. And... Um, We'll look at some more of that later. But you do not have to do your Google Earth assignment yet. I'm going to add more resources. What you do need to finish is your VoiceThread assignment because it is due on Sunday. Um, and make sure you email me if you have questions. And I need to talk to Shakina and Emma Hale. Shakina Powell and Emma Hale, if I could. Have a great week. We'll see you all Monday. Hello.